Well, both campuses of Spirit and Life Church are on a quest this month and next. We're in a new sermon series called God Quest. The God Quest is a multifaceted spiritual journey of discovery that's designed to help us all dig deeper into the truth. The truth of God. The truth of Jesus Christ. And the undeniable truth of our Christian faith. And my job today is to help us go one step further, one shovel deeper on our journey into the truth of God, as today we explore specifically the truth of God's Word, the Bible. Is the Bible just a collection of ancient myths or fables or fairy tales? Is the Bible just ancient inspirational literature? Or is it something more? You know, different people have different opinions about what the Bible really is. Costco, the big box retailer, got in trouble a couple years ago when it mistakenly labeled a bunch of its Bibles as fiction. But today, now I'm a Costco member, nothing against Costco, but that's what happened. But today, I'm going to argue that the Bible is a whole lot more than fiction. In fact, today I'm going to argue that the Bible is God's Word. The historically accurate, divinely inspired, divinely unfailing, true Word of God. The evidence that God and His Word, the Bible, are real is so overwhelming that over and over again, former atheists who once denied the truth of God and His Word, once they authentically examine the evidence, have themselves come to believe. There was an academic by the name of Dr. Josh McDowell who set out to write a book called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Dr. McDowell was an atheist, and he set out to write this book Evidence that demands a verdict in order to disprove the reality of God. This, this academic atheist wrote, set out to write this book to disprove the reality of God and the Bible and the historicity of Jesus Christ. But when Dr. McDowell actually took the time to sit down and honestly examine the evidence... Well, he ended up converting from atheism to Christianity. And now he did write that book. And that book, which you can get at Amazon or your favorite local Christian bookstore, Evidence That Demand a Verdict, has been written. And it's one of the most powerful treatises on the shelves demonstrating the reality of the existence of God and His Word. Evidence for our Creator and for His Word does demand a verdict, and Dr. McDowell himself says, it's real. But don't just take his word for it. Also consider the case of former atheist and lawyer and journalist and legal editor for the Chicago Tribune, Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel's wife became a Christian. And so Lee himself set out on his own God quest to make the legal case as a lawyer against the existence of God. 
So this lawyer, the legal editor of the Chicago Tribune, set out on a quest to gather all the evidence to disprove the reality of God and His Word. And once again, Lee Strobel ended up convincing himself of the truth and the reality of the Christian faith. And now you can pick up the case for faith or the case for Christ or the case for Easter or the case for Christmas or any more of the many books that now Lee Strobel has written demonstrating the reality of our faith and the truth of God's Word. But don't just take their word for it. There is also the case of perhaps the most ardent atheist of our time, Dr. Anthony Flew. Dr. Flew had once been called the world's most notorious atheist. And Dr. Flew spent the vast majority of his life researching and claiming and debating and arguing for the non-existence of God. Until all those years of authentically examining the evidence caught up with him, and amazingly, you might say miraculously, you can now pick up a copy of the believer Dr. Anthony Flew's book, There Is a God. How subtitle, I love the subtitle even more than the title, There Is a God. How the world's most notorious atheist changed his mind. All of this to say that in the next 20 or so minutes, I'm going to try hard to give you the evidence for the reality of God and specifically the reality of his word. But I acknowledge that the next 20 minutes is nowhere close enough for me to be able to give you all this evidence. So there are Tons and tons of resources out there for you to take your own personal God quest and examination of the evidence even further on your own. Now, when we talk about the validity and the reliability of the Bible, theologians, Bible scholars, uh, apologists, people who defend the Christian faith will very frequently use six E's. Six lines of evidence that all begin with the letter E to defend the truth of the Christian faith and the reality, the historical accuracy and reliability of God's Word, the Bible. So together today, we are going to explore the six E's to see really if there's anything about this Bible stuff, this Christianity stuff that we really do want to take seriously. The first of those six E's, those six lines of evidence for the reality of God's Word, each beginning with the letter E, the first of those E's is the word early. If you're taking notes, you write that down. Uh, we've got scripture today printed inside the sermon notes section of your Lifeline Bulletin. We've got Bibles for you out at the welcome table. And uh, the scripture and, and, and illustrations we're using are projected on the screens behind me early evidence for the reality of the Bible. Did you know that the vast majority of ancient historical documents are written long periods, even centuries, after the events themselves that they're recording actually took place? The, the, the history of Alexander the Great 
was written years and decades and centuries after Alexander the Great actually lived. But you don't hear anyone arguing that, well, maybe Alexander the Great, maybe Cleopatra, maybe Mark Antony never actually existed. But did you know the entire New Testament, in terms of ancient historical documents, was actually written in a time period equivalent to an ancient news flash? In fact, we've got recordings of the events of the New Testament so early that they are nearly concurrent with the historical events themselves. And anybody who appreciates ancient historical documents who are centuries post-dated need to appreciate the, the New Testament as historically reliable because it is such an early account of the historical events themselves, leaving no time for editors or redactionists to distort the truth. Early documents demonstrate the reliability of our Bible, written so much closer to the events themselves than most ancient historical documents are. This leads us to the second E of evidence for the reality and the reliability of God's Word. Eyewitnesses. Not only are the ancient historical documents we call the New Testament written so early and so close to the events themselves, they are written by eyewitnesses to the events not some separate historian taking oral tradition and writing it down. The, the New Testament isn't written by later scribes who heard the truth from someone who heard the truth from someone who heard the truth from someone else. But the New Testament is written by the eyewitnesses to the ancient events themselves personally firsthand. But not only that, the New Testament is written by eyewitnesses to eyewitnesses, frequently claiming that you know for yourselves these events that took place. You saw them. You know the truth. So we've got eyewitnesses writing to eyewitnesses who all have seen for themselves these historical events. The third E of evidence for the reality of the Bible, not only is it early testimony, not only is it eyewitness testimony, but number three, it is embarrassing testimony. Now, if you want to make up a story to try to convince people to believe this thing you're making up, you would make yourself look as credible and believable as possible. And you certainly wouldn't damage the credibility or the believability of the main characters in your story, the disciples, who you're trying to get people to believe. But that is exactly what we see the writers of the New Testament do. We see the New Testament repeatedly call the disciples thick-headed, stiff-necked, stubborn, and slow. We repeatedly see the New Testament call the disciples doubters, deniers, cowards. This is not how you would make up a story to try to give them credibility. In fact, in a patriarchal, that is male-dominated, first-century Middle Eastern world, you would never ever dream of making up a story where the male, dis excuse me, where the male disciples were scared and ran away from the foot of the cross while it was the women who were bold enough to stay there with the dying Christ. 
You would never say that it was the women who found the tomb empty on that first Easter resurrection Sunday morning. But that's exactly what we have throughout the New Testament. Embarrassing testimony that does not make us believe uh, in the credibility of these early male disciples, but in fact makes us wonder why God would choose these stubborn people. Only one reason why we get this embarrassing testimony, because it's what actually happened. Number four, fourth E for the reliability of God's Word. Excruciating testimony. Not only is the Bible written early in concurrence with the events themselves, not only is the Bible written by the eyewitnesses of the events to the eyewitnesses of the events who would have known the truth, not only is the Bible embarrassing to those male disciples who were supposed to believe and follow after as they follow Christ, But all of this is likewise excruciating testimony because each of those disciples died excruciating deaths following the death of Jesus Christ himself. Literally giving their lives for the good news message that they claimed to believe. The fact that the disciples were all willing to die excruciating deaths for the, for the truth they proclaimed about Jesus Christ testifies to the fact that they all deeply and genuinely believed it. Now, people die for what they believe all the time, for what they believe. But no one knowingly and willingly dies for what they know is a lie. These disciples, more than anyone else, were in a position to know what really happened with the life death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Those disciples, more than anyone else, had that firsthand eyewitness view of whether this Jesus was really risen, whether he really did miracles, whether he really was Lord of death and the grave and new life and resurrection. They were in a position more than anyone else to know if his divinity was real. And if anybody, if anybody would have been able to doubt the realities of Jesus Christ, it was these disciples. They would have known if this Jesus stuff was all a lie. And if it was, they wouldn't have died for it. But we see each and every one of them beheaded or stoned or crucified or exiled to starve to death. We see each and every one of these disciples dying excruciating deaths as martyrs taking to their graves, and in so doing, proclaiming the reality of the truth that they themselves saw and that they themselves recorded for us in the New Testament. We believe in the Bible because of its excruciating testimony that the early martyrs were willing to die for, knowing it to be true. The fifth E for the reliability of the Bible is called expected. We see expected testimony in the Bible. Now, so far we've been talking all about the New Testament, but the reality is the Old Testament of the Bible is filled with literally hundreds and hundreds of ancient prophecies telling us exactly what the coming Messiah, the coming Christ, the coming Savior would be like. In the Old Testament, we are given prophecy of exactly 
where this Messiah would be born. Bethlehem in the land of Judah. We see hundreds of prophecies describing exactly what his birth and his life and his death would be like. We see exactly and specifically in the New Testament how the, the, the Messiah would have his hands and his feet pierced, written at a time before the Roman Empire ever invented crucifixion. All of this ancient Old Testament expected prophecy testifying to the divine authorship of the Bible and the reality of our God. And finally, the sixth E for the reliability of the Bible is what scholars call extra-biblical evidence. It's not just these ancient eyewitnesses, the disciples, who have recorded their experiences with the living and risen Christ, but there are ancient historians who have no dog in the fight. They're not disciples, but they believe, likewise, that Christ Himself actually existed. If you go home today and you look up the Wikipedia article on Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, if you look up the Wikipedia article today, you will see it say, and I quote, almost all modern historians agree that Jesus actually existed. Now, we can debate whether or not He was God whether or not he really performed miracles, whether or not he really rose from the dead. But in a world where even the Wikipedia article concedes that almost all modern historians believe Jesus at least existed, well, my friends, that's a world where if you hear a colleague or a friend or a neighbor say, I don't believe Jesus even existed, where we need to find that claim hard to believe. Oh, did you know that your belief that Jesus didn't exist is in contrast with virtually every historian on the planet? In fact, don't take it from me. But hear now from a scholar, apologist, defender of the faith, Frank Turek, who can make this argument through the six E's for the reliability of the Bible even better than I can make it. Is the Bible historically reliable? Oh, I think so, absolutely, Bobby. And I think if you look at six lines of testimony that begin with the letter E... As an overview, you can see that it is. First of all, we have early testimony. Most, if not all, the New Testament documents are written prior to 70 AD. Secondly, we have eyewitness testimony. For example, there's 140 details between the Book of Acts and the Gospel of John that have been verified to either be eyewitness details or details that only an eyewitness could know or, some, or they knew somebody who was an eyewitness. Uh, thirdly, we have embarrassing testimony. That may sound a little strange, but there's so many embarrassing details in the text that the writers never would have made up. Like, for example, they never would have called, have Jesus call Peter Satan. They never would have had Peter deny Christ three times. They certainly wouldn't have run away while the women were the brave ones at the crucifixion, right? That doesn't make any sense. They wouldn't have the women be the first witnesses. They wouldn't doubt that he had risen from the dead after he had risen from the dead. There's so many embarrassing details. This is not a made-up story. Uh, number four, we have excruciating testimony. That literally means out of the crucifixion that these individuals died brutal deaths 
excruciating deaths when they could have saved themselves by saying Jesus had not risen from the dead, but they went to their deaths anyway. We also have expected testimony. That's number five. In other words, there's Old Testament prophecy that causes us to expect a Messiah in the first century with the same characteristics Jesus had. Just just look at Isaiah 53. You don't need to go much further than that. And then uh, finally, we have extra biblical testimony. Uh, We have... 10 ancient non-Christian sources within 150 years of Jesus' life. And when you take their brief references to Jesus and early Christianity, you get a storyline congruent with the New Testament. So for those six reasons, early, eyewitness, embarrassing, excruciating, extra-biblical, and expected testimony, we, we pretty much know that the New Testament's historically reliable. All right, so we have some evidence for the reliability of the Bible. In fact, I would say not just some, but a ton of evidence for the reliability of the Bible. But I could keep going. I could talk to you about how ancient philosophers and even modern scientists well into the 20th century had for millennia believed that the universe had always existed. I could tell you how all these philosophers and scientists just took for granted that the universe always existed except for one ancient document. There was one ancient document that stubbornly proclaimed that the earth and the universe had a beginning. That document, the book of Genesis chapter 1 verse 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And now modern scientists take for granted the fact that the universe had a beginning. Call it the Big Bang if you want to. I just happen to know who banged it. Don't clap for me. Clap for God. I could keep going. We have plenty of evidence already. I've given you other books and resources to research this on your own. But I could keep going. I could talk to you uh, the way... um, theologian and scholar Dr. Chuck Missler talks to us. He says about how we've got these 66 books in the Bible written by 40 different authors, separated by hundreds of years of time without the ability to compare notes to one another, separated by multiple different languages, separated by different cultures, different historical perspectives, different contexts. But all these authors of all these books of the Bible, without the ability to collude or talk to one another or compare notes, tell one consistent story. His story. You know, history is really his story. God's salvation story. I could keep going and defend the truth and the reality of the Scriptures by talking about all the prophecies that are fulfilled and those that are continuing to be fulfilled. But perhaps the best way to know the reliability of the Bible is to do what I feel is the most important thing to do today, and that is to hear from the Bible itself. What does Jesus say? about the reliability of his own words. And what does Jesus say about why, despite all the evidence, there's still some who don't believe? John chapter 6 is printed in your sermon notes. It's going to be projected on the screen behind me. It's uh, also in your Bible. If you don't have one, we're giving them away for free. John chapter 6, starting in verse 60. 
Jesus had just talked a bit about Holy Communion, and this is a, for the first time, a weird and hard teaching, and that's what the disciples say in John chapter 6, verse 60. On hearing it, this hard teaching, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching, who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Look, people were getting all offended about stuff in the first century too. Feel a little bit better about your 21st century. Are you offended? How does Jesus deal with offense? Well, then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, Jesus says, my words, Jesus says, are full of the Spirit and life. That's a good name for a church. (laughs) Yet there are some of you who do not believe. Despite the overwhelming testimony, despite the miracles that Jesus was working, yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray Him. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to Me unless the Father has enabled them. All of the convincing apologetics and historical evidence is great. But if someone is going to make that change from disbelief to belief, we're relying all and only on the grace of God for them. Well, from this time, many of His disciples turned back and no longer followed Him. I'm leaving your church, Jesus. I didn't write it. I'm just reporting it. I don't make the news. I just report it. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered Him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that You are the Holy One of God, the Anointed One, the Messiah, the Christ. The disciples believed through the grace of God the Father. And the disciple John, who wrote this book that we were just reading, ends his own testimony of the good news of Jesus Christ with the reasoning behind his writing. The Gospel of John concludes this way. Then Jesus told him, told Thomas, the disciple who said, I won't believe unless I see the risen Christ for myself. How many of you know a Thomas? How many of you live in a world that won't believe it until they see it? Raise your hand. That's the world I live in. The Gospel of John concludes this way. Just just showing Thomas to say, hey, put your fingers in the nail holes. Believe because you've seen. Verse 29, Then Jesus told him, Thomas, because you have seen Me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's us. John concludes, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of His disciples, which are not recorded in this book. If you want more evidence, John says, we could give it to you. We got lots more evidence. But these are written. Why? So that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, 
the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John says, I imagine if everything that Jesus did, if we were to lay out all the evidence for his realities, not even the whole world would have enough room for all the books that would be written. But these summaries of the evidence for Jesus Christ are written and proclaimed today that you may believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. I want you not to end your God quest journey today into your own study of the reality of God and His Word. But I want you to continue to pick up some of those books like The Case for Faith or Evidence That Demands a Verdict or There Is a God by former atheist Dr. Anthony Flew. I want you to dig deep into the reality of God. I want you to explore the evidence. The Christian is not afraid of science. The Christian is not afraid of the evidence because we know where the evidence leads. Back to the inescapable conclusion that it all started somewhere. That there isn't an infinite series of prior events, but there was a beginning. There was a beginner and we know His name. God. But the Scripture tells us we're not just to know His name and know that He exists. We are to know Him personally. Not just to know that there is a God, but to know God intimately, deeply, and personally as well as we know our spouse or our best friend. Because Jesus wants to be our best friend. He wants to ride shotgun with us in traffic on 95 tomorrow morning. Jesus wants to be there with us during the darkest and, and saddest moments of our life. Jesus wants to be there with us during the greatest and, and most exciting moments of our life. He wants to know us personally. He's revealed Himself to us in the greatest love letter ever written, the Bible, His Word, testified through ancient eyewitnesses and through centuries of believers since. And despite all the efforts of all the tyrants and all the despots to burn and ban and, 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 and ignore God's Word, still God's Word and still God's church stands today. Even in a 21st century American culture that is too good or too smart or too comfortable for God and His Word and His church, still God's church stands today fulfilling the promise that not even the gates of hell will prevail against God's church. And if you want to know more than just about God, you can know God personally today. And I'd invite you to do that as we close with a time of prayer. Would you pray with me?